Well, good morning, everybody. It is still morning, isn't it? My uh, clock is all out uh, the last couple of days. That flight across that little thing we call the pond uh, sort of disorientates you a little bit. Uh, but we're here. We're here. It's good to be with you again. Uh, it's nearly two years since I was last here. And on that ca- occasion, I, I was just thinking as I was sitting over there that it, it was a, a time in my life, uh, those three weeks that I was here, it, it was a time in my life that was just vibrant. Every moment of every day, every person that I met, every relationship that I made, uh, just seemed to be rich with the presence uh, and the anointing of God. And uh, I, I just, I, I've longed for the opportunity to come back and, and share with you again. And uh, today, it's just great to be with you. Uh, thanks to those who have made the trip possible, all who have hosted us, fed us. Oh, my word, you know how to eat in Texas. Um, I'm learning quickly, no guts, no glory. <laughs> and uh, that's okay with me. <laughs> I guess I'm standing here today because of... Um, two colleagues who worked together over in South Yorkshire. Uh, Kiva Green came to work with me. Uh, I was her superintendent for four or five years. Four years. Oh, my word. And then uh, that colleagueship blossomed into friendship. Uh, my wife, Alison, and my daughter, Lauren, and myself were able to visit here, as I say, two years ago. And uh, we, we were just so richly blessed and one of the things that came out of that was a conversation with Jeff in, in his uh, study or his office upstairs. I don't know if study is the right word to use for Jeff's room, is it? I, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, office. Uh, so, I was with uh, Jeff, and uh, we, we dreamed up this idea of a group from here coming to us. And right from the start, I was very clear that the title of our time together should be called A Together Mission. Because it wasn't that your team was coming to virgin soil where the gospel hadn't been. It's been there for centuries. But uh, we seek to live out our lives as Christian disciples and of those who have called to be on mission with God in South Yorkshire. And as we've done so, uh, your team came and they blessed the socks off us. Do you, do you say that phrase, bless the socks off somebody? That's okay. I just have to keep checking these idioms, you know, to make sure we're, we're understanding each other. Well, you're understanding me, let's be honest. But Kiva came with Cindy, Dana, and Chris, and uh, they led a team of young people, Amy, uh, Anna, Ashton, Connor, I forgot Carson this morning. I'm sorry, Carson, if you're listening to this. Um, Emily, Cara, Liz, Michael, Robert, and Stephen. They were a great representation of the Lord Jesus Christ and great ambassadors for you and your church. They blessed us so much. And my prayer was that that we would be a blessing to them as they had uh, been to us. And I believe that happened for both of us. And so the idea of Together Mission Part 2 came up, and we've prayed about this over the last year, and so 10 of us are are here this week to come and share, as you shared with us, in your life and in your mission any way we can to serve alongside you this week. 
I was so well received and blessed last time I was here. And I remember being introduced to some wonderful sporting occasions. Nathan Griffin, who was in the first meeting this morning, he had given me this wonderful gift. I brought it with me this morning. It's been on my head every time it's been hot in England, so that's twice in the last two years. Um, my Texas Rangers hat. And um, the other thing I took back with me, I, I gave uh, Nathan a, a gift this morning of um, a, a baseball cap from the Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, hence the bag, the blue and white bag. But the other thing I took back with me last time uh, was my mug, my first church mug. You see that? And I drink proudly from that cup uh, every night before I go to bed. And I listen, as I drive between Sheffield and York twice a week, where I work half the time, I uh, listen to the podcasts from your preaching here at this church. You continue to bless me. Well, as I was thinking about that mug, I thought I'd bring Richard back a, a, a gift, and it's a, a mug from the, um, the Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, and, and it says Richard on it. So can I give this to you this morning, brother? <laughs> There you go, Richard. Thank you so much. I will Bless drink you. tea out of it. You only. drink proper tea out of it. Hot tea. Only tea. Hot tea, okay. <laughs> uh, someone asked me that last night. How do you like your tea? I said, the only way you can have it. Hot. Boiling hot. Okay. So uh, we, we did that. So it's been great to come back and to bring some of my folks back to be with me this week and, and to share in this Together Mission Part 2. You were also kind the way you received the message I preached uh, two years ago. In fact, it's been quite intimidating since I've come back. The number of people who have grabbed my hand and said, I remember what you preached last time you were here. I can't remember what I preached myself last week. No mind, uh, you know, two years ago. But I do remember the message I brought you. Because I think the title of the series was, If You Had One Sermon to Preach. Uh, and I remember this message is absolutely core to my heart. And I shared it, and so many seemed to be blessed by it. It seemed to be a now word, a, a kairos word, a, a word in season, a word that you needed to hear at that time. And I'm guessing if I'd known two years ago that I was coming to share in your, at the beginning of your missions week, I probably would have saved that sermon for today because that sermon would have been perfect this morning. But because some of you remembered, I can't use it again. All right? Um, but on that occasion, if I could just recap for those who weren't there on that occasion, or who, like myself, tend to forget these things, um, on that occasion, I looked at Exodus chapter 3 and 4, the calling of Moses to, to lead the people of God. And God says to him, I'm going to do something about the plight of my people. I've got a mission. There's something I want to do, says God, and I want you to be involved in it. And Moses makes all these excuses, and eventually God says, what is in your hand? What have you got in your hand? What is it that you have that you could offer to me that I can make it useful in my service? And so he, he handed the Lord his rod, his staff, and God was able to take that staff places and do things in and through his life and ministry. And so we made the point at that time, and I repeated very briefly this morning, uh, it's our availability to God 
not our ability that matters. He's the God on mission. We make ourselves available to him. This morning, I simply over these next few moments want to take you to another passage, this time to Luke's gospel and uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5. And when you get there in your Bibles, it's uh, verse 27. And it's entitled in the, Northern, uh, the NIV, the Northern Ireland version. Okay, <laughs> NIV, the Northern Ireland version. Um, it, it's, uh, it's entitled, The Calling of Levi. So, verse 27, after this, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We thank God for His Word this morning. Amen. I want to ask three questions this morning. The first question is this, what sort of people does Jesus associate with? Okay, this is Missions Week. We're thinking about the mission of God, not only just in other parts of the world, but even on our own doorstep. Our own doorstep can be one of the most difficult places to, to mission. I know a, a, big, a big man of God in our congregation who once sort of squared up to me and said, we've got to do more mission out in our, our, our community. We've got to get out there into the local pubs and, and talk to people and bars and talk to people about the Lord. I said to him, when was the last time you talked to your neighbor who lives next door? Uh, and he said, uh, no, I couldn't do that. I said, yeah, you want to go and abuse a load of people up in a local pub, but you don't want to talk about the faith that's changed your life to the person you know next door. And so, sometimes the mission of God excites us, and we want to go all over the world, but often uh, the Lord might just be saying, what about that relationship with the person next door? Uh, Who does Jesus, what sort of people does Jesus associate with? Second question, what sort of response is He looking for from them? And thirdly, what sort of obstacles does He encounter? So, number one, what sort of people does Jesus associate with? I come back to verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, says, Jesus looked straight at him. Jesus looked straight at him. Who is the object of the gaze of Christ? It is the tax collector. He is a social outcast. He is not liked by anyone. He's considered to be the lowest of the low. You see, being a tax collector is never a popular job in any time or place, is it? And, uh, you know, a person who collects taxes is never going to win a popularity contest. But in Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers, when they took over a town, they said, okay, we're going to need somebody to collect taxes. And they didn't go for the local priest or 
uh, head teacher of the local school or whatever, they went for the, the sort of Joey Soprano type characters, you know, the mafiosa, uh, the ones who could get the job done no matter what, you know? And so, you know, if you went around and uh, you hadn't given your taxes, you can just imagine a couple of heavies, uh, sort of mafia types, saying, you know, um, Levi hasn't got his taxes this month. We're not happy when Levi's not happy. People's barns get burnt down when Levi's not happy. You know, it can be really quite menacing. So that's the sort of people we're talking about here. And what we find is that's the sort of person that Jesus goes and associates with. Levi is the sort of person, hear that, he's the sort of person that Jesus associates with. There isn't anybody in our streets, in our community, in our places of work, beyond the gaze of love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the pure uh, core doctrines of our Methodist tradition. Well, they're here or, or over in England, uh, at the core of the Methodist uh, charism uh, throughout history has been this truth that the love of God is so wide that it would pass by no one, or as Wesley's hymn puts it, or it would have passed by me. Uh, the grace of God, universally available, the love of God, the salvation of God, available to everyone, to everyone. And uh, that was a challenge to the people back in the 1700s when Wesley was preaching it, and it still is a challenge to us today. There isn't anybody beyond his gaze. The one who constantly faced rejection in his community and amongst his, his people now found acceptance from Jesus. How often have we, the church, rejected those whom Christ loves because they don't quite fit in? How often have we been a stumbling block? This is one of the things that challenges me as a Christian leader. How often does my church um, actually put people off finding Christ rather than helping and um, being bridges over which people might find the Savior? How often do we get in the way and become a blockage? Now, I can tell you that one of the first things I do sometimes in evangelism and sharing the faith is apologizing for the church. I might sound crazy, but I go into many a house. Say I get a phone call, and they say, can you come and do the funeral for such and such a person? They say they're Methodists. I've never heard of them in my life, and I've been a minister there for 15 years nearly. And I go along to their, their house, and I said, I hear you're Methodist. Which church do you go to? Oh, we, we haven't been for 20, 30, 40 years, um, but we're Methodists. Okay, um, so why did you stop going to church? oh, well, uh, we, we didn't quite fit. Uh, our behavior wasn't the way we did. We, we got constantly judged because of what we're like, and people didn't like us and you know, made us feel a, a you know, sort of cold shoulder. We sort of felt we didn't fit, and so we left. We stopped going, and then we left, and we miss it, but we don't fit. And my first job is to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the church let you down there. I'm sorry that we got in the way, that the message you got about God is you're not welcome rather than you're welcome and I love you. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
there are some people on this planet who need to be offended. More than that, there are some people on this planet who are always offended, all right? They were smacked on the bum by the midwife when they came out of the womb, and they've been offended ever since. (laughs) Some people are like that. You know them. And if you're one of them, I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry. (laughs) I went to one house, and this lady said to me, I stopped coming to church because 20 years ago we were having a church council meeting, and uh, my friend uh, said that she wanted to buy new saucers for the new kitchen, and they should be green. I wanted them to be yellow, and I fell out with her, and I haven't been back in 20 years. I said, good. Um, because if you got offended about that sort of thing, I'd probably end up killing you, you know? Uh, um, Some people need to be offended. Some people are just offended because they're that way. Um, But there are people, folks, there are many people who, you know, would want to know the Lord. Uh, But the church actually has been the stumbling block, and where Jesus, Jesus would go to them and welcome them and love them and bring them into the experience of His love and His grace. So also, um, we, we, find, we, we find that we're, we're getting in the way. So, um, Levi, Levi. What sort of people does Jesus associate with? He, he associates with the Levites, the outcasts, the, the uh, social uh, pariahs of our, the social lepers of our, our world. And he associates with the others. Verse 29 says that Levi has a party that night, and he invites tax collectors and people in the community, they're going to be the riffraff of society. They're going to be the prostitutes. They're going to be the petty thieves. They're going to be uh, the embezzlers. They're they're not going to be the good people. I forgot to say this in the last service, but uh, when your folks were over last year, and Mr. Siptak reminded me of this this morning, I was um, reversing the minibus that we we came in, uh, we we drove them around in, I was reversing, and I said, can someone see out the back to see if I've got much distance to go before I bump into anything? Uh, And uh, someone kept saying, I think it was Robert, um, Robert Shirley kept saying, you're good, you're good, you're good, yeah, yeah, you're good. I said, Robert, I don't want to know about my moral status. I want to know how far it is to the back. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so these were not good people. These were not good people. But here, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Jesus went to them. Jesus went to them. He didn't expect them to come to him. He went to them. That sounds very simple, but it's profound. Because so often in church life, we we set up the nest really nice. And uh, then we expect people to come to us. Jesus went to them where they were at. And... uh, in England, our experience uh, of incredible church decline over the last uh, 
sort of 50, 60 years and continually growing. We have aging congregations and less and less youth. We are so envious of the youth program. I want to bottle up Jeff and take him home with me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're really struggling in many ways. And, and we've had to realize, we've had to realize that often it's because we're, we're building this little nest and expecting people to come to us. And we're, we've just turned it all on its head and we've said, it's not so much that um, we're Christians because we congregate on a Sunday. We're Christians because we're disciples of the Lord Jesus. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we follow him wherever he goes. We go and associate with the sort of people he associates with, and we seek to serve them with the love of Christ, however and wherever we can. So actually, we've changed our, our understanding of ourselves at my church in, in Sheffield, we've said this. We've said it's not that we're a congregation uh, who have ministries. We are ministries who congregate. Yeah? We are ministries who congregate. That, that little thing just made such a difference. Every Sunday morning now in church, I have a, a four or five-minute slot that we call ministries that congregate. And a different uh, way in which we serve in the congregation each week comes up and serves for five minutes what they're doing. And uh, then the next thing is that we get people to share uh, with the ways they serve God beyond the life of the church, maybe in other uh, ministries or charities or organizations that are doing good kingdom-like things. Or we've even brought up at one stage all the people who are involved in education, and we've said, uh, you too deserve the ordination of God and of the church as much as I do with my, my silly collar around my neck most weeks. Uh, you need the, the, the setting apart and the ordination of God for what you're doing, because you're investing into children's lives about six, seven hours a day, five days a week, um, however many weeks a year. You guys need more of the prayer of God's people and the anointing of the Holy Spirit than I do for the work that you're involved in investing into this next generation. And so we, we have expanded this vision all the bigger all the time, ministries that congregate. And in doing so, suddenly, after years of having people saying to me, our church isn't doing much, is it? And I'm going, you've no idea. Um, now they're saying, my goodness, we are involved in the service of Christ as his disciples in ways that we hadn't even realized. And suddenly we've got a kaleidoscope, a big picture of all the different ways people are involved. And so when I said to people, hey, who wants to come with me to do some mission in Texas? Um, yeah, no problem getting people together for that. Um, because suddenly they realize that as disciples of the Lord Jesus, they too can go and serve the Lord beyond their, their normal comfort zone. So what sort of people does Jesus associate? He associates with Levi. He associates with the others. And then later on in the chapter, he said, in that same few verses, verse 31, the sick who need a doctor. The sick who need a doctor. Jesus asks a simple question, who goes to the doctor? Who goes to the doctor? Somebody who is sick and someone more than that who realizes that they are sick and they need to do something about it. Jesus goes to that sort of person. And it's often that sort of person we think they're not really interested in the gospel. Or they wouldn't be interested. Actually, my experience is that they are very interested and they're just waiting. 
um, for someone to touch their life with the grace of God and tell them the good news of the Savior. So here's a question. What sort of people does Jesus associate with? That then rises to another question. If he was walking in the flesh today in this building, uh, who would he associate with today in your community? Where would he be? My hunch, no, it's more than a hunch. My belief is that he wouldn't hang around church so much. (laughs) That the the Levites of the world are actually found beyond our boundaries, uh, beyond, um, uh, you know, our normal comfort zones, and he'd be there. So, if that's what Jesus, if that's what Jesus did then, if that's what Jesus would do now, and we're sharing in his mission, (laughs) and we're making ourselves available to that mission, uh, this isn't a comfortable question, by the way. (laughs) I find it a challenge to myself. Where should we be now ourselves? Who should we be associating with? Where might that realization take us today? Where, what sort of people did Jesus associate with? What sort of people would he associate with in your life today? What sort of response? Uh, this is the second question. Don't worry, the second and the third question go a lot faster than the first, so you'll get out by lunchtime. Don't worry. Uh, what sort of response does he ask for? Well, in this passage, three very simple ones. One is, follow me. <laughs> follow me. Not my teaching, not my ethical behavior, my standards. My Follow me. It's a relational call. It's a, a call to be in a relationship, uh, to be with Jesus, and to go with him and be involved in whatever he is doing. Follow me. We're rediscovering in the British church and and I know that it was something I picked up last time I was here. It was a great word I heard. I learned when I was here last term, last time. Intentionality. I heard you talking about that a lot. Intentionality. I took that home with me. We've got to be much more intentional about our relationship with God, about our discipleship. And so I took that back with me. It's inspired us. And the Methodist Church at large in England, the National Methodist Church, has uh, got a new tagline that came out last year at our conference that says this. The Methodist Church is a discipleship movement, a discipleship movement shaped by mission, shaped for mission, a discipleship, a discipleship movement shaped for mission. We're disciples. You know what disciples are? Very simple. People with hard hats on, you know, the construction hats and the construction vests. And on the front, it says, uh, danger, God at work. And on the back, it says, under construction. And the hat says, follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. So what sort of response does he look for? He's looking for us to follow him. Secondly, he's calling for abandonment. Look what Levi does. He gets up from his tax collector's booth, and he leaves behind the business. He leaves behind the the, uh, economic stability and all his former relationships, and he goes. He abandons it all to follow the Lord Jesus wherever that might take him. I don't know about you, but isn't it frustrating? (laughs) I find it frustrating that when I came to faith and I said, here I am, Lord, send me, I, was, I remember when I did it. I was on a bike. I was traveling between the, 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 the place where I lived and about five miles into the city center of Londonderry in Northern Ireland. And as I was driving, cycling along, I just said, Lord, here I am, like Isaiah, 
send me. Now, I have to say, if I'd known, if I'd known where that prayer was going to take me, I'm not sure I would have said that prayer. <laughs> and I wish I'd known just then, but if I'd known, I mightn't have said, said the prayer. But I know this, that as we abandon ourselves to the Lord Jesus, who knows where it's going to take us? Who knows what it's going to ask of us? But I'll tell you what, it's the most exciting mission. It's the most exciting activity to be involved in on this world. So, uh, follow me, abandonment. And then what is the first thing that Levi does? He invites others. He invites others to meet Jesus too. Evangelism isn't for just for specialists. Evangelism is an intrinsic, essential activity of every single one of us. Okay, we mightn't be Billy Graham, we mightn't be one of the great evangelists, but we might be an evangelist with a very small E. <laughs> but every one of us is called to share by our testimony and this good news, our story and the story of God in us. Invite others to meet Jesus. What sort of people did Jesus associate with? What sort of response did He call from them? And thirdly now, what sort of obstacles did He encounter? Well, of course, in this passage, He encounters the Pharisees. The Pharisees who had been the renewal movement of 250 years pre previous. They'd been passionate people about the Word of God. They'd been passionate people about serving God wholeheartedly, obeying His law, uh, all, all they could. And yet now they find themselves getting in the way of the grace of God. Uh, it doesn't take much of a study of church history to find that there's a bit of a cycle in that. That, you know, the, the last generation who were touched by the Spirit of God and renewed by Him, then in the next time the Spirit moves, tend to get in the way. Don't know what that's about. But all I know is my prayer is, uh, I don't want to get in the way. In fact, Lord, I want to be available to follow you and to be abandoned for you and to play my part in your mission, whatever that might look like. So he meets the objection of the Pharisees. And he meets a different view of salvation. Their, their view of salvation was salvation by segregation, getting away, <laughs> um, separating yourself uh, with all those who believe the same as you and somehow hanging in there until uh, the Messiah came. There's many churches who think that way. But here, uh, Jesus has salvation by association. He goes to them. He crosses boundaries. I, I, I used an illustration at the end of my last sermon this morning, and it didn't really work, if I'm honest. Um, it was an Irish thing that people didn't get. I don't understand that, but it didn't happen. Okay, so the illustration I'm going to use is a biblical one. I'm on good ground there, um, I hope. Uh, and it's from John chapter 4. Remember John chapter 4, the lady at the well, the woman at the well? Now think about that story and think about the boundaries that Jesus crosses to be with her and to meet that woman. You know, he crosses geographical boundaries. He crosses um, cultural, sexual, gender, uh, social um, uh, legalistic, uh, all sorts of language, all sorts of boundaries. So that day, that one woman, that woman, oh, that woman, that one, could know that there was a God who loved her and who wanted to be in her life and called for her 
to tell others. What's the first thing that she does? <laughs> she goes down into the village and says, hey, come and meet someone who told me everything about my life, who, knew, who knows me and yet still loves me. And so we're called as the people of Jesus on mission with him to cross over those boundaries, whatever those boundaries might be in our lives. Do you have uh, what I'd call betting shops, uh, bookmakers? Is that something you, where you'd go and place a bet on a horse or a, does that make a, am I, what, what's the word? Bookies, bookies, right. Uh, there's a bookies in the, in the community where I live, and church people, whoa, definitely not in that place, okay? And I, on one occasion, I said, I'm going to give you all, I went down and got a load of betting slips, I said, I want you to go down, and this is a bit dangerous, this. I want you to go down, uh, forgive me, Richard, <laughs> uh, go down into the shop, uh, the bookies, and um, place a bet on a horse, just once, and get out of there, okay? Do it once. They came back the next week, and they said to me, oh, I, I couldn't do it. I was too nervous. Secondly, oh, I, I didn't know what to do when I got inside. Thirdly, um, I, 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 I just didn't, I, I bottled out. I got in through the door, and I, I just felt wrong being in there, so I came out. And they made all these sort of things, and I said, hang on a moment. You had that experience crossing over to the other side. What do you understand as the emotion of those then who come through the doors of our church who have never been before. They'll say to you, oh, I just felt so nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen to me when I came through the front door. I didn't know what to do. What was this hymn book about? What's that stuff going on? They're standing up to sing. They're sitting down. What do we do? It's a foreign world. And often we expect them to come to us into this foreign place and yet the story of our gospel is about a God who leaves heaven and comes and incarnates himself in us, taking on flesh, uh, pitching his tent amongst us, moving into the neighborhood, all those lovely translations of John 1.14. He crosses the boundaries to get to us. We, at the beginning of this uh, missions week in your church, message I'm bringing from you to, for you today, as we too are called today to be a boundary-crossing people who will associate with the sort of people Jesus would associate with and let them know the love of God too. I invite you today in a few moments to come to the, uh, the communion rail, altar rail, altar rail and uh, to simply give yourself afresh to this mission that isn't just the job of some of you, but is the job and the invitation of Christ to every single one of us. Amen? Amen. So let's uh, do just that as we come now uh, in the next few moments uh, as David returns to the, to the piano and uh, we continue in our worship. Amen. God bless you.